Good morning, Rose Bowers. Good to see everybody on this beautiful fall rainy day. Let's all stand. Let's begin and sing it in worship. We're going to sing, This is the Day. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let's sing it again. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let's sing, when the roll is called up young. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up glory of his resurrection share when his chosen one shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder i'll be there when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up be seated. Uh, welcome to Rosebower Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us uh, this morning. It's a very special morning uh, that we have here in the Lord's Day that we're very excited. Uh, we we got a baptism that we're going to be celebrating. So at this time, I'm going to ask Barry Rhodes uh, to come down, and he has a unique privilege to baptize his mother. And so this morning, Miss Mildred comes and wishing to be baptized, unite with us as a member here at Rosebar Baptist Church, and we are so delighted for this day. This baptism that we're about to witness is not anything special in the water. Baptism doesn't save you. It is a symbol of an inward sign of Jesus Christ living inside of your heart. And so that is the day that we celebrate today, that Miss Mildred is coming forward to be baptized and join at Rosebier Baptist Church. So, Barry, you take it from here. Mildred Rose, 
that you testified before the Brother Bar Baptist Church uh, that you are uh, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Then by the, your uh, testimony, I baptize you, my sister. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. What a special day. So exciting to have a baptism in the house of the Lord. So thankful for her family to be here to witness this. Continue to pray for Barry um, and, and his wife Cassie as he walks through uh, cancer. We're just so uh, prayers for them and so thankful he could be here on this very special day to baptize his mom. What an awesome day in the Lord's house this morning. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and we are going to take our normal Sunday morning offer. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right back into worship because we have a, a lot to worship our Lord and Savior about. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much on this morning. You allowed us to be in your house with this, your people. Lord, we do pray a special blessing for Miss Beth as she uh, had a seizure this morning and she's fallen. Lord, as Michael, as he's caring for her and for the doctors and nurses and for the many other sicknesses that is going around at this time, Lord Jesus, you know each and every need, and we pray your healing mercies upon all of those. Pray for Barry, God, and, and his wife Cassie, God, in these days, in these difficult and hard days. We celebrate and thank you for the baptism this morning, for you are the author of salvation, and we praise you for that. And God, we come now and we give of that that you have given to us, God, and we just give back to you and say thank you and praise you for all that you've done and for all that you're going to do. God, I pray in this worship service that you may be glorified. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to continue in worship. We're going to sing uh, This Is Amazing Grace. This has been the song of the month for all of October here at Rose Bower. We like to pick out one song. We like to sing it every service all month long. We like to meditate on it, learn it good, uh, pray over it. And so this month was This Is Amazing Grace. Next month, if you look it up, Rejoice by Keith and Kristen Getty. Look it up. We're going to be singing it next, start next Sunday morning. So let's all stand, continue in worship, singing This Is Amazing Great. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory. The King above all kings. Who shakes the whole world with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in all and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. Unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing. All that you've done for me Who brings our chaos back into order Who makes the orphan a son and daughter The King of glory Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. 
this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you laid down your
humble to the grave. Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Behold our God, seated on His throne. Come, let us adore. No 
Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you this morning and thank you for the opportunity that you give us week in and week out to be in your house, Lord, to publicly come in here and announce our faith, Lord, to the world, to this lost world, that we believe in you, that we have faith and we trust you, Lord, and we believe your word. Lord, we just praise you for your sovereignty over this world. Lord, we praise you for the salvation that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, Lord, a life that we could never live, and he became that perfect lamb who shed his blood willingly on the cross to die for our sins and our salvation so that we can be made righteous in your eyes. Lord, thank you for the grace that you give us. Lord, you tell us that if we believe in you, we believe in your son who died on the cross, that you don't see our sins, but you see your son. And Lord, we praise you for that this morning. Lord, we know that we need nothing other than you, that you are the best that we could have. Lord, I, I praise you for the salvation. Um, I praise you for the baptism that we had this morning. Lord, I pray that you bless that family, Lord. Just give them comfort. We lift them up to you, Lord. I pray for Brother Justin as he has the daunting task of preaching your word. Give him boldness. Lord, give him courage. Lord, as he stands before your people and the world and proclaim your word. Lord, we praise you this morning. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bibles with you. I want to turn. I want to ask you to turn to Esther chapter seven, Esther seven. But as you're turning there, we do want to share. Today is our fifth Sunday of the month, and so it's Family Sunday here at Rosebier, and so our children's church is in here, and then our nursery is in here too. Uh, we're sorry for the inconvenience, uh, but these two guys are going to pass out a coloring sheet and a worksheet uh, colors to go along with that if you have a child that would like that would you just raise your hand and these guys would bring it to you Jeff Holland cannot have one we don't have enough to go around for the older children too um, but Michael got these together um, and has it for your children so hopefully that it goes along with our sermon and things like that so hopefully it would be a help to them uh, but thank you guys for being willing to pass out and work on that. But if you raise your hand, they will work their way to you. But we are so thankful to have the entire family together today at Rosebier Baptist Church. From young and to old, we are all together in God's house, and we're thankful that you are here. Miss Lila, thank you for helping us sing this morning. What a beautiful job you did this morning. I can't wait to hear more of your friends. We were supposed to have some of our nursery friends sing last week. Um, but there was some sickness that broke out, and so they're working on it, and they're going to be bringing it to you really soon. Can't wait to hear from Hada and more of her friends in the coming weeks. Um, thank you all you children that are here this day. Thank you all the family that is here this day, and a special thank you to the Rhodes family that are here this day to celebrate a very special day in God's house. But this morning, we are going to continue in our study of the book of Esther. We are in Esther chapter 7. And as we do, I want to remind you about an old cartoon that I used to watch. One of the commentators I read this week brought this up, and I thought it was really good comparison, or maybe you would. Does anybody remember this cartoon? Do it? Yeah, a few of you, a few of you. Some of these younger children, too bad. I should have picked out a cartoon like Bluey, like that would have, or Blippy, like that would have really spoke to our audience today. But this is a cartoon that speaks to me, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? Um, for whatever reason, I would like this show and I would watch this show. And if you're familiar with this cartoon at all, it is Wile E. Coyote that is trying to catch the Roadrunner. He thinks that if he would catch this Roadrunner, he's going to be tasty. He's going to be good for supper and things like that. And so he's constantly trying to catch him. And really, there's not any talking in these cartoons much anyway. Um, it's mainly chasing this roadrunner, and he's trying to catch him, but the roadrunner is so elusive. 
He's so quick. He's so fast. And the wily coyote is always trying to trap him and to trick him in order to catch him. But what always happens is what? Wiley Coyote winds up getting caught in the trap that he sets for the roadrunner, right? Or the rock that was intended for the roadrunner falls on Wiley Coyote's head. He always winds up being the blunt of the trap or the trick that he had set in order to catch the roadrunner. And every single time, the roadrunner would come back up to Wiley Coyote after he'd been caught in his own trap, after he'd been blown up with his own dynamite, after he'd been now hit with his own rock, he'd come up to him and say what? Beep, beep. And whoo, he's gone again. In a way... The cartoon, Wile E. Coyote, is very similar to chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Esther. Remember, Haman had developed the plan in order to kill Mordecai. Remember, he's so angry at Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And so he wants to kill Mordecai, but he doesn't just want to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill all who are related to Mordecai. So he's going to do away with all the Jews, and he's come up with this plan that he's going to announce. He got the king to sign off on it because he was very deceptive in his way of presenting it to the king. And, and so he's come up with this plan that he's going to kill Mordecai and the Jews on the 12th day of the 12th month. And this death sentence, this death edict has went out to all of the provinces. But remember, that wasn't quick enough to have Mordecai killed. Because after this banquet they had, Haman's on his way home to tell his wife and his family he had a banquet, a personal banquet with the king and queen by himself. But on his way home, he runs into Haman. And Haman, once again, doesn't bow to him. And it makes his blood boil. So he goes home, and he had this wonderful day, but all he can think about is how Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And so his family comes up with this great idea of, hey, won't you build a gallow? 75 feet high, hang Mordecai on the gallow as an example so that no one would ever disrespect you again. And so Mordecai, I mean, Haman loves the idea. He says, build the gallows. So the gallows are being built. And then he said, in the morning, first thing in the morning, I'm going to go to the king in order to get approval, in order to get Mordecai hung. So Haman is going to the king. To ask permission to kill Mordecai. But remember what happened? The king couldn't sleep that night. And the king couldn't sleep that night, so he had one of his servants read to him the book of Chronicles, which was historical events that had taken place in the empire. And he happened, so happened to be reading that Mordecai saved the king's life by spoiling an assassination plot of the king by one of his own servants. And as he, the servant read that to the king while he was trying to sleep, he said, wait a second. Hey, what did we ever do for Mordecai for saving my life? And the servant said, hey, we didn't do anything. And he said, who's in the, the palace, the court, the court uh, right outside the court uh, of the palace? And it was Haman. Haman was coming to get permission to kill Mordecai. And, the king, and they said, who is out in the courtyards? And they said, Haman is. He said, bring him to me. So Haman comes to the king. And the king says, Haman, I need your help. What should I do if there's some man that I'm wanting to honor? Haman is so selfish that he thinks the king is talking about him. And so Haman gives him this very elaborate plan about a parade and says, if you're really wanting to honor someone, you need to give him your robe Give him your horse, and you need to parade him around the city and saying, this is the man whom the king wishes to honor. And the king says, you're right. Go and do all that you just said for Mordecai. In the episode of Roadrunner, this would be the part where the Roadrunner comes back and says, beep, beep. But wait, there's more. And that's where we come to chapter 7 and verse 1. If you'll stand to your feet, we're going to read Esther chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that says, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. 
And on the second day at the banquet of the wine, the king, uh, the king said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given, given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he, where and where is he, who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is the wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life. For he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace guard to the to place where the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Har Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Beep, beep. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you, by the power of your spirit, you'll speak to our heart and in our life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. There's two things in this passage that I want to share with you, and we're going to be brief. Um, the first one is the request. Last week we learned that Mordecai was finally recognized for saving the king's life. Remember, he was the one that got the one-man parade around the city that we just talked about, how Haman was embarrassed and humiliated that it was... And not only that, but Haman had to lead Mordecai around the city, how humiliated he was. And it left with him with his hands in his hands, or his head in his hands, mourning over all that had just transpired. So Mordecai was finally recognized. He was honored for saving the king's life. But at the end of the day, and that was a really good part for God's people in Scripture, but at the end of the day, there was still a death sentence signed by the king for all of the Jews to be killed. So even though that was a good time for the Jews, that was a good time for Mordecai, that was a good time for God's people, there was still a death sentence that had sent out over all of the land that all of the Jews were to be killed. So it wasn't enough just to, order, just to honor Mordecai by himself. There's still 1 to 15 million Jews that are going to, boys, girls, men, women, that are going to be slaughtered. And it's at this banquet that Esther makes her request. He's asked her on two different occasions, what is your quest? I shall give it up to half the kingdom. And she says, first, come to the banquet that I have prepared for you. Secondly, she says, come back again tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for you. And that's where they're at now, the second banquet. And he says, okay, what is it? You've risked your life in order to summons the king because you don't summons the king, the king summons you. And if you are to summons the king and he don't hold out the scepter to you, they're going to cut off your head. So she's already risked her life once. Now she risked her life again. And she tells him that she is a Jew. They've been married for about five years, and he had no idea, the king had no idea his wife was a Jew. So she reveals her identity to the king, and she says, my petition is that you grant me my life and that you save my people. This is the second time Esther has risked her life before the king. She goes in without being summoned, and then now she reveals that she was a Jew and she has been deceiving him for five years. How many of you know it would have been so much easier to keep silent? 
Just not say a word. Don't tell anyone. And I know Mordecai told her that, hey, you think you're going to be safe in the palace, but they're going to find out you're a Jew, and they're going to kill you too. But there had to be something within her that thought to herself, they wouldn't kill the queen. Like, yeah, they might find out I'm a Jew, and yeah, I might get in trouble, and I might get banished to the harem and, and be there, and, and I might get in trouble, but they're not going to kill me. There's probably at least something in her that made her feel that way. It would have been so much easier to be quiet, but instead, she risked her life for the purpose of delivering the Jews. She confronts Haman's sin. Confrontations are hard, right? Confrontations are hard. Many people are, uh, avoid confrontations at all costs because they're hard and we're scared of them. Think of things in your life that you're scared of. Some of you might be scared of snakes. And you're walking outside on your patio and there lays a 12-inch little bitty baby snake. And you act like the world has fallen in. And you go running and screaming like a little girl. <laughs> Why? Because there's snakes. I don't like snakes. They scare me. I learned a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school class, Miss Kathy Reese is scared of birds. She had a bad occasion with a rooster when she was young. And so now she is scared of birds and she don't want to confront them at any level. I think Miss Severance could testify to that. I think she was over there and ran into a bird and, and she went running. I don't like spiders. I will take a sledgehammer to a spider just to kill it, make sure it's dead. So sometimes that's the way we are with any type of con confrontation is hard. It would have been so much easier for Queen Esther to keep her mouth shut in a way. And, but this is really important. She confronts Haman's sin. We learned about this Wednesday night a little bit about we're living in a culture where we're, um, we're living in a culture that says confronting someone in their sin is unloving. That God's the only judge and that he should judge everyone. But what scripture teaches us is the most loving thing we can do for another is to confront them in their sin. And, and why is that loving? The reason why that is loving is because sin that is not confronting normally escalates. If you just leave someone in their sin, what does Romans 1 tell us? That if they continue in their sin, God will eventually give them over to their sin. And then they just get worse in their sin and further in their sin. And so that's why he's saying it's so loving is because when you share with them about the sin that is in their life, it gives them an opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord before they meet God on Judgment Day. You don't want to repent on Judgment Day because it's not possible. <laughs> then you get the full wrath of God when you meet God face to face and try to repent of the, the sin that is in your life. It must be dealt with and it will be dealt with. But what we do is sharing with another so they may repent before the day of the Lord. Because our God is a forgiving God. And he, not only is he a forgiving God, he's eager to forgive anyone that is willing to confess with their mouths that they are a sinner. That he will openly forgive. Because he is a loving God who loves, loves to forgive. And so that's what Romans 1 tells us. God uses his people to confront others and their sins so they may repent. So that's what she does. She carefully does this. She is kind. She's not placing blame on the king, although there's plenty of blame that could go there. And she is clear. He comes to her and says, her request is save my life and save my people's life because they're about to die. And the king said, who is it? Who has done this? Who is going to kill your people? And she points to Haman, who's in the meeting with her, and says, it's him. It's Haman. The evil, wicked Haman. How many know it would have been easier to have this meeting with a king without Haman in our presence? It's easier to talk about someone when they're not there in the room, right? But he gives us another godly principles here. Especially if you're going to call him wicked or evil. That's what she does. But again, he gives us a godly principle. Don't talk about another when they're not present. And if someone is talking to you bad about someone else, you say, hey, let me take you to him. Or, hey, won't you go to him? Or, won't you go to her? 
Because it's not helping anything to talk bad about someone who's not in their presence. Esther invites Haman to the meeting. She tells the king, Haman's the one, he's evil, and shares all that he has done about the death sentence to God's people. So secondly, so first we see the request, and secondly we see the response. Verse 7 says, The king arose in wrath from the banquet of the wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before the queen and pleading for his life, for he saw the evil that was determined in the king's eyes. So Haman, uh, so the king was so furious, he leaves. When he hears this, it's Haman. The king is so furious that he leaves and goes to the garden. And then when he gets up to the go to the garden, like the king don't know what to do. He don't know what to think. Like think about this from the king's perspective. His right-hand man, who he trusted more than anybody, has betrayed him. His wife has deceived him. He don't know what to do. He don't know what to think. So he gets up and he goes to the garden. Haman was one of his most trusted men who had betrayed him. The king never makes decisions without asking the counsel of other people. He's unlike many kings that we read in the Bible. But remember all of the times, like remember when Vashti was removed, it was from the counsel of others. Remember when the beauty contest was set up for Queen Esther, it was from counsel from others. Remember when the parade for the Mordecai came through, it's from the counsel of Haman. Every single time there was a decision to be made, he asked the counsel of his trusted advisors. But now his most trusted advisors have deceived him, has betrayed him, and he don't know what to do. And he goes to the garden to think just for a moment. And as he does, Haman sees the rage that is in his eyes. And he quickly goes to full-on survival mode. And he goes running to the queen. He don't follow the king, who has all of the power. He goes to the queen. And he begins to beg for his life. You see, Haman had no idea that Esther was a Jew. The only person that Haman cared about was, Morde was Mordecai killing him. He knew he was a Jew, but he didn't know. I mean, there was no way for a Jew to be a queen at this time. He only wanted to kill Jews because of Mordecai, and that's when now he realized she was a Jew. And basically what he's telling her is, I'm so sorry I didn't know that. I would have never done that if I knew that. But how many of you know sin often surprises us with unintended consequences? Sin leads us further than we ever intended to go. Keeps us longer than we ever intended to stay. That's what Adrian Rogers says, right? Costs more than we ever figured we'd pay. That's what happened with Haman. Sin never warns you it leads to destruction. It only tempts you to good and fun things. He's in full-on survival mode. There's no indication here that he's repentant. He's more sorry that it included the queen. That's the only sorry that he has. He, he still wants Mordecai to die and all the Jews to die. He's fine with that, but there's no repentance. Verse 8, the king comes back in. Haman's kneeling on the couch where Queen Esther is. And the king says, will, it, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? And it says, the servants went and covered the head of Haman. This is Haman's last act of kneeling on the couch before Queen Esther. You see, the rules in this day were you could not come within close of seven steps of a woman from the harem when the king was not present. Most definitely the queen herself. And so here Haman, he comes back in, Haman is kneeling on the couch, begging for his life, and one of the king's servants come and tell him, say, hey, what about that gallow that is in Haman's yard? It's 75 feet high. He kind of comes and says, hey, king, what about this? And this speaks the king's language. And he said, yes, hang him on that. Hang Haman on the 75-foot gallow that was meant for Mordecai. And then it says the king's wrath was satisfied. Now, as we said a moment ago, in the cartoon of the Roadrunner, this would be the time when the Roadrunner would say, beep, beep. It's a little bit different because in the Roadrunner, the coyote never dies. But here, Haman dies for the judgment, the wrath that was from the king 
the very inst instrument Haman was trying to use to kill Mordecai was the instrument the king used to kill Haman. God divinely orchestrating his justice in his way. Only God can do that. I've got a few points, or some takeaways. I think we're going to call them walk-in tacos. Y'all know what a walk-in taco is? It's like a bag of Fritos that you put a little um, like ch chili or something like that. Now you can take it out and you can eat while you're on the run. Well, this is going to be some takeaway points that as you're walking, you can chew on it and think about it as you go. So we're going to have a walk-in taco today. That's what I'm going to refer to him as. The first one is this. Jesus is worthy of whatever it costs to follow him. Jesus is worthy of whatever it costs to follow him. Whatever the risk is to follow him, it's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever the risk it is to speak in the name of Jesus, it's worth it. Whatever risk it is to stand on the name of Jesus, it's worth it. It may be scary. It may cost you your life. But Paul tells us it is better for us to die in Christ than to live for this world. That we are better off with Christ Jesus than we are here in this world living in our sin. So if we die, it is gain for us. If we live, it is gain for us because we get to tell more people about Jesus. And if we live with that type of attitude, it changes our life. Second thing is, if we don't confront sin, it will only escalate. If we don't confront sin with brothers and sisters in Christ that we see, it will only escalate. The next thing is, we were all Haman at some point in time in our life. Maybe we're not building gallows in our yard. Maybe we're not wishing that people were dead or are dead. Maybe we don't have that great depth of, uh, of, of anger against another, but we were all born sinful, we were all born selfish, and we must all repent before a holy and mighty God. Because here's why. Death is no escape from God's wrath. You see, here Haman dies, but when we die in the wrath of God, it's only the beginning of what will never end. We are far worse than we could ever imagine. Our sin is far worse than we could ever imagine because it's before a holy God. But get this, amazingly enough, God knew us at our worst. <laughs> he knew our worst sins, but He atoned for our sins anyway through His perfect, righteous Son, Jesus. And it's true for anyone that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, that you shall be saved. That was true for Haman, and that's true for us. That if we confess that we are a sinner, we confess that Jesus is Lord, <laughs> we believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time together in your house. And Lord, for the work that you've done in hearts and lives. And we thank you for the baptism we celebrated today. We thank you for the noise of children today, of reminding us the life that is here in our church, God. We thank you for giving us opportunities to grow, and we thank you for children and the ministry that is taking place here in our children's ministry and our youth ministry and all that is going on, Lord Jesus. We give you the glory for that, but in this moment, in this time, Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that you'd use this passage to encourage our hearts, to remind us of our sin, and to help us to repent in a way that brings glory and honor to your holy name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't
Thank you so much for being here today uh, in God's house. We pray God's blessing on each of you. Got a few announcements for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Um, just a reminder, our boys and girls extreme Sunday school class, first through sixth grade, every Sunday morning through November the 13th, uh, we're learning about the gospel and trying to explain that in a clearer way. So we want to invite you to be there. Uh, me and Kendra are able to help in that class, and so it's been going really well. We're memorizing Romans 10, 9 through 13. So we'd invite your kids to join. And then on November the 13th at 8.45 in the morning, we're going to have a teacher's meeting, a, teacher, a Sunday school teacher's meeting uh, in the fellowship hall. We'll have some donuts provided. It shouldn't take too long. We'll be able to get back to class and get it started. But that's on November the 13th that is coming up. Uh, November the 20th will be our leadership team meeting for our elders, our deacons, our deacon partners, our staff. Um, so that will be coming up on November 20th. We do have our 2023 budget proposals for that leadership team. It's on the table by the office. You want to grab one before you leave so you can look at that. Christmas shoe boxes. It will be due by November the 16th. That's a Wednesday night. Uh, but some of those are available. I think they're out here in the foyer. If you want to grab one, fill it up, bring it back. And we are going to pray over those and then send those to, for kids to have Christmas. And then a very special happy anniversary to Jeff and Terry Holland, November the 1st. Uh, thank you guys for your love for each other and your love for God. And what a faithful testimony um, that you are to this church. And do you want me to let Jeff have a few words on that? No, we, we won't let Jeff. He was the one that wanted the crayons, right? <laughs> and then November 16th, we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal in the Reach Out Center at 6 p.m. It's going to be catered by Neil. And then if you want to bring a dessert... Uh, potluck dessert, that will be great, uh, but that is November the 16th, and if you'll stand to your feet, I think that's all the information I have for you at this time, such a special day in God's house, uh, the nursery will be open and available Wednesday night going forward, thank you for those nursery team getting that ready, thank you for parents for bringing your kids and allowing them to come uh, for, our, for our fifth family, and a very special thank you to the Rhodes family, what a special day for you. To be in the house with you guys and prayers for all of you. Thank you, Miss Mildred. Uh, God bless you and to your entire family. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will be dismissed. Steve Lyle, would you mind leading us in our closing prayer? <laughs>